0: Good morning. Welcome to Holding Ground, the show that brings you a little bit of everything in the realm of psychotherapy and positive mental health. I am your host, Laura Richer. I am a psychotherapist and I'm the owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective in Seattle, Washington. And today I am joined by one of our regular guests, Denise Johnson. And Denise is a marriage and family therapy graduate student and she is also an intern at anchor light therapy collective and today me and denise are going to be talking about something called internal family systems so good morning denise thanks for being on the show again
1: thank you so much for having me good morning to you as well
0: So this is a type of therapy that both of us find very interesting and you're actually already practicing this therapy. I am a client of this therapy, so I'm a little bit new to it. So I'm so glad that you could join us and start to share with our guests a little bit more about what this type of therapy is and and how it works. So first of all, let's just start there. What is internal family systems?
1: So it is an evidence-based approach to therapy that was developed by a man named Richard Schwartz, actually back in the 1980s. And he developed this model after working with clients for many years and just really observing how his clients spoke about their issues. I believe uh, at the time he was working with a lot of people with eating disorders, and he noticed that they often talked in terms of a part of them. Yeah. And so he started to recognize that we don't have a mono mind. We're not just one part all the time, but rather we have all these different parts. An easy way to think about it is how, you know, you might show up and act very differently around your boss versus around your partner. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's that professional part, the part of you that has like your customer service voice.
1: (laughs) Right. and you're not going to share uh, all what you're feeling because you need to stay professional exactly. And so you know people might ask, is this the same as multiple personality disorder or what we actually uh, term as dissociative personality disorder? And there there is a relationship there, but it's of course very different because For you and I, if you don't have dissociative personality disorder, you might have a moment, let's say, where you lose your temper. Mm -hmm. And it can feel like, oh my gosh, this anger took over. You know, I said things I didn't mean. I said things I shouldn't have said. But nonetheless, you're still going to remember that it it happened. Whereas with, yeah, right? And so with dissociative personality disorder is that they have these parts, but there's no connection between the parts if that makes sense.
0: Yes. And so there's a part that takes over and the other, the the rest of you is disassociated from that, that you don't even remember what is happening. So that this is not what we're talking about today, but we, I love this framework because when you think about behavior change and people Mm -hmm. wanting to, make a change. A lot of times, like say something like manage your finances better, create Mm -hmm. healthier habits. People really want to make these changes, but at the same time, they're not doing it. So Mm -hmm. I love looking at the fact that there is a part of you that, that doesn't want to make a change, for example, for whatever reason. So what do you think, how does that all work together? Why is it helpful for people to know that they have these different parts?
1: Yeah, there's, there's many layers to this. I love what you just mentioned as far as like you want, you have a goal, but you find this other part is sabotaging. So oftentimes we are confronted with inner conflict and to understand your parts can really help um, you make the right choices for yourself. Something that I think is really unique to um, IFS or internal family systems is this belief um, that we all have what they call the self with a capital S. Mm-hmm. So when we're really centered, we come to this place where we can understand our behaviors, understand these different parts, but not be taken over by them. Mm-hmm. And this self um, is very compassionate, calm, creative. And so it's very much like, you know, in hypnotherapy, when we help people tap into their subconscious mind, how they can find deep within them, there is this wise, intuitive voice that can come to the surface. Have you found that to be the case in hypnotherapy, for instance?
0: Yeah. So I have a little, as a hypnotherapist, um, I do have a little background in doing parts therapy, not to the extent that is it is defined in IFS therapy, but it is hypnosis or getting to a really relaxed place really allows clients to tap in To these different parts of themselves. Um, And I do think that they usually have an understanding of just intuitively without even being educated about this type of therapy of, of what part feels more like their authentic self or higher self or true self, whatever they want to define that as versus the part that maybe is stepping in and, and resisting whatever change they want to make or, or sabotaging them or even trying to protect them.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So it is really beneficial to get to know your different parts so that you can feel like you have more control. Um, And also, it can just bring more harmony to your whole internal system or your internal world, the more you can kind of take care of your different parts. Yeah. Like you said, they take the parts to a, uh, even more descriptive Mm -hmm. in terms of defining different parts. So they believe that we have three parts. Um, The first part is called a manager. So managers, they're there to really protect us. Um, They usually come about during a time where we experience trauma, pain. And so we develop these managers to help us try to avoid that in the future. So an example of a manager might be a hypervigilant part. Um, This happens with anxiety a lot where people will have this hypervigilant manager that's always trying to be like three steps ahead, always, you know, kind of worrying about what would happen to try to prepare themselves. So that would be a manager. They're always trying to be ahead of any problems. So then they have what's called a firefighter, those are also there to try to protect us from pain, but they're more reactive. So it's when you're already uncomfortable and you just want to numb out, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. So anything like shopping or gambling or just, you know, vegging out on Netflix all day would be kind of a firefighter. It's just like, okay, we, we want to avoid the pain. So just is and that then,
0: kind of do the firefighters
1: kind of shut you down or numb you? I would say very much so, okay. or they can also be reactive. Like, let's say in that case of the ang- angry outburst, mm-hmm. um, the the angry part could be a firefighter. Like, if you feel like your partner is causing you to feel really vulnerable, you're starting to feel, you know, bad. You, that anger can come out to sort of protect yourself. So it's this very reactive part of ourselves, and like you said, often shows up and and tries to get us to numb out, run away, avoid, (laughs) that kind of thing.
0: Okay, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And so then the third part that IFS defines is the exiled part. So these are younger parts that are really still holding painful experiences that we haven't been able to fully heal or integrate or overcome. So, for example, I have a client who I've been working with, and he was like severely bullied as a kid. And now he's in his thirties, but he has social anxiety. And so we've discovered that he has this younger part that still hasn't resolved that, that the pain of being bullied. And even though now in the present time, you know, he has friends and family and a good job and, and lots of evidence, um, that would indicate that he's safe mm-hmm. from that ridicule. He's still that younger part is still holding on to that trauma.
0: Yeah. Cause it wasn't safe to socialize when that part came into being. And so, so now there's probably, if it's unresolved, that part is still showing up saying you should be anxious when there's social interactions.
1: Uh, socializing is dangerous exactly and and often these exiled parts they are like i said stuck in the past mm-hmm. so they they haven't fully developed they haven't fully matured in a way if that makes sense yeah. and then those managers and the firefighters are there to try and protect the exiled parts but really you know the ultimate goal is to address those younger parts and kind of almost reparent mm-hmm. those parts in a way and, and catch them up to what's happened, the healing, what they need. Have you found that you've, you know, you end up working what what IFS calls exiled parts in therapy or even in hypnotherapy?
0: Yeah, I think in, in both of them and well, a lot of times with the exiled parts, those are the parts that clients have a lot of judgment around. They don't have Mm. compassion for them. Mm -hmm. And because of that, and that's why I love IFS is that it, it gives you an opportunity, like you said, to work with the exiled part, reparent them in a way that is compassionate. And so instead of beating up on yourself, like why can't, you know, why can't I just go out and socialize? Why am I such a freak or whatever the, Yes. The narrative is that you can try to have compassion for that part so that you can actually heal it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I, that's why I think IFS is really trauma informed mm-hmm. because it's very non pathologizing. So, like you mentioned, we have this tendency when we don't like a part of ourselves is to just beat ourselves up even more right. about it. Like, what's wrong with me? With IFS, it really sees these parts as trying to help. They're adaptations, Mm -hmm. right? They're not dysfunctional. They're Mm -hmm. actually there to try and help. And so it's very non pathologizing. And it offers this roadmap to understand and heal those parts by, first of all, getting to know those managers, right? So not just diving right into the trauma, but really understanding all your coping mechanisms, shifting to develop even better coping mechanisms, and finding that centered part of yourself. That's more compassionate, more loving. And then from that place, looking at the pain and the trauma.
0: Yeah. And I love what you said that this is not pathologizing because we do a lot of times in psychotherapy, we work kind of within a medical model
1: framework. Mm -hmm. You
0: know, we, especially if we're billing insurance, we have to give a, a client a diagnosis and we give them a treatment plan and all of those things can be really helpful. Um, but the one thing I don't love about that and using your social anxiety example is typically people just don't have a diagnosis of social anxiety because they have a genetic mutation that causes them to be anxious, uh, It's socially, it's because they had an experience. There was something that happened to them along the way. And so, if we just put a blank label on, like, oh, this is social anxiety, and you just give this pill for it and you're on your way, it doesn't really treat what happened to the individual. So, I love how this works with the individual and their life experience.
1: And we often label behavior as like dysfunctional, right? And that just further creates more shame. Yeah. Which is not necessarily helpful there's a new book by Richard Schwartz that just came out within the last year and it's called No Bad Parts. Mm. And I love that title because it really does encompass the philosophy of internal family systems that all of our parts, even if they have these sort of extreme behaviors or are taking an extreme role, ultimately are trying to help. There is a reason that they're there and by befriending them, not labeling them as bad, that's when we can really start to shift and change.
0: So being that IFS is very trauma informed, like you Mm -hmm. said, uh, you know, I think one of the most stigmatizing diagnoses that we have in, in mental health are related to addiction. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. stigma around addiction, but if you look at it through the IFS framework, how might you see addiction differently?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think IFS would probably define most addictions as a firefighter part. So a part that is developed because there's a great deal of pain and it is, it's trying to numb the pain in a way. Um, love Dr. Gabor, you know, his interviews and he deals a lot with people that have addictions. And one things he one thing he says is he never asks why drink or why do drugs? He asks, why are you in pain? Yeah. So like you said, it's non-pathologizing and it's really about understanding what's underneath the addiction and helping a client, you know, become more centered in the self, more able to tolerate the pain, right? It's not, the pain doesn't necessarily go away. It can be transformed, Mm -hmm. healed, but it starts with being able to sit with it tolerate it, understand it, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that the part that is choosing using an addiction as an example, the part that is choosing to engage in whatever the addictive behavior is, is actually serving a purpose. It has a function. And if we don't Mm -hmm. address that piece of it, then we're not going to be able to change that behavior. So instead of looking at it as, as uh, a bad part, we want to understand what's happening.
1: Right. And then we want to try to come up with other strategies Mm -hmm. because we know that addiction, it it might temporarily make somebody feel better Mm -hmm. um, or at least feel less pain. But in the long run, it ends up complicating one's life and creating a lot more pain. Mm -hmm. But if if you can get to know your parts and really understand, you know, why the pain Mm -hmm. and and what does that part really need. Um a lot of healing can happen and a lot of things can shift.
0: Yeah. So you talked about these exiled parts. So we have our managers Mm -hmm. and our firefighters who are trying to, it sounds like protect the exiled parts. Is that accurate?
1: Right. Yep. I would say very much.
0: And you said that these are usually going to be younger parts that maybe had past traumatic experiences when they came into being. So tell me a little bit about inner child work and how that plays into all of this.
1: Yeah. So I also learned about parts through hypnotherapy first and hypnotherapy, we do a lot of inner child work and I have found it to be very powerful um, when working in that context. And so it is kind of about reparenting, if that makes sense. It's about developing a new relationship, with yourself, with your younger parts, like becoming that parent that your child never had being the more loving, kind, you know, caretaker Mm -hmm. to your younger parts, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And giving them what you didn't get. So if your parent, your actual parent or whoever your caretaker was, was not able to give you what you needed in that experience, understanding how you
1: can start giving that to yourself. Yes, exactly. And, and what I like about both IFS and hypnotherapy is it's not just from a cognitive place. You're not just talking about your problems. It's much more experiential. Mm-hmm. So you might visualize your younger self and really um, imagine your younger self and communicate with your younger self. And so that it really shifts on this sort of embodied level. If that makes sense, it can really shift your nervous system to have more of an experience rather than just talking about a problem. Have you found that to be the case when you've helped people with, you know, doing some inner child work?
0: Yes, definitely. And I even just recently had my own experience with that. So I am a big believer that all therapists Mm -hmm. should also be in therapy. So I am also Mm -hmm. always in therapy. And I started working recently with an IFS therapist, And we were doing some work around some anxieties that I was wanting to try to, to work through. And we, I really had this experience of like looking at the younger self that adopted Mm -hmm. the fears or, or, or the anxieties and, and, seeing her experience, just imagining it in my mind. And these are all memories that I normally have access to. It's not that it's something that I was totally unaware of, Mm
1: -hmm. but at the
0: same time, just being in that process of imagining what it felt like to be her and really like visualizing Mm -hmm. her and, and notice what I feel about her now noticing when thinking about her, what emotions come up and, and it really just allows you to see it in a different way. And ultimately, and I find this with my clients too, as well as doing my own therapy you have a lot more compassion for that younger self versus when you're like, oh my God, why am I still eating potato chips? Why am I so out of control? Yeah. You know, when you're looking at the part, the younger self that adopted some of these behaviors, you just, you can't help but feel compassion for them.
1: That's so interesting. It's true. We constantly talk about negative self-talk. Mm-hmm. We all have some of it. It's just mm-hmm. those automatic negative thoughts, but it is, it's it's harder uh, to speak unkindly when you think about a younger person or your younger part than it is to, you know, the way we can beat ourselves up and reject ourselves. So it's really powerful to connect with your inner child and to also understand how those managers can get in the way of that. I also have done some IFS and it was really interesting at some point I was connecting to a younger part of myself that just wanted to, wanted to know that, you know, mistakes were no big deal, Mm -hmm. right? That it's like not the end of the world, you know, things happen. And when I was trying to really support that younger part, she was like, Yeah, but you make things out to be a bigger deal. And then it was distinguished that like, oh, that's actually another manager, that I do have a manager that can exaggerate things in a way mm-hmm. to try to, I don't know, protect myself or avoid judgment. I'll, I'll judge myself first, um, right. if that makes sense. And so there was this process where I had to ask that manager to step aside and really from that centered self, connect with that younger part and let that younger part know, yeah, it's okay to make a mistake. It really is. And it was so healing.
0: Yeah. And even when, do you notice with clients, even when there's initially resistance, like When they go back to that part that they've exiled and maybe they look at, you know, and hypnotherapy is a good place where you can imagine it and they'll go, nope, that, that younger version of me really was stupid, or they really shouldn't have done that, or they really were embarrassing or whatever it is that with some time and some work, when they can understand what the purpose of why that part developed that behavior, that it does, it it is healing because it's harder to judge that part when you understand it.
1: I agree and and it's true some people at first don't feel like they can connect to their inner child but like you said with time and work it's possible and I notice that a lot of people that may be really stuck in their heads um and not able to really you know shift um once they can connect to their younger parts they are able to access emotions that they haven't been able to yeah and it's really it's really amazing
0: Well, and I would imagine that some of those exiled parts are the really vulnerable parts, the parts that that people don't want to access because they're afraid of how painful those could be. Is that seem accurate?
1: Yeah. And that's why I think it's important to have that trauma lens and to take your time, um, you know. As a therapist, you might just be getting to know clients, managers for quite some time and understanding, you know, all their coping mechanisms before they're comfortable enough and really like healed enough to dive into those exiled parts.
0: So you talked about the self. And so, and Mm -hmm. I've heard this term in IFS of being self-led. What exactly does that mean?
1: Yeah, so they do. They talk a lot about the aim is for self-leadership. So first of all, what that would look like in terms of the parts is that you get to know your parts, you understand your parts, you're not getting rid of the parts, but you are not blending with the parts. Mm -hmm. So I might notice that I'm really stressed and that my my first impulse is to go shopping, right? Um, I'm like, oh, wow, this is an old strategy here. I see this part, what this part's trying to do um but i don't feel out of control instead i might go like well you know i don't really want to be buying things right now or you know maybe i'm on a budget i don't want to make that choice so being self led is observing your parts without blending with them and like you said talking to your parts like you would talk to your child or your friend coming from that really loving kind place versus you know, beating yourself up. And then in general, I would say this concept of self, I see it in other modalities and other, I would say spiritual practices. It's often called like the higher self. Mm -hmm. Um, if you've ever heard that term, but it's, it's that part of us that is very aware or observing and really living in the present. I'd say the managers tend to try and be in the future. And those firefighters are kind of in the past. I mean, that's just generally speaking, but, but the self is that mindful part that can be in the present. Yeah. So I don't know, do you relate to this concept of the self or self-leadership?
0: Yeah. I think that, I mean, everyone has a sense of what feels authentic to them. And I find usually when people are engaging in therapy, they're trying to move towards that authentic self or higher Mm -hmm. self or whatever you want to call that, but that they feel like there's obstacles that keep them from being, you know, and I think being able to do that. And I think we see that in all types of therapy. Like when we're working with couples, like, you know, I see couples who have managers and firefighters and, and they're wanting to create a vulnerable, true, like deep connection with their partner. But those are the parts that are usually getting in the way. So I see that in both relational therapy or individual Mm -hmm. therapy. People are, there's things that they're wanting to accomplish again, related to being that like authentic self, but they either don't know what that means or, or they do know what it means, but they just, for whatever reason, these, these parts that are getting in the way. And sometimes they're aware of them and sometimes they aren't are keeping them from stepping
1: into that. Well, I like that term, the authentic self. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. And it feels so much better when we can be our authentic self. And it's interesting that you bring up how our parts can interrupt our relationships. Mm-hmm. Um I would say IFS is more of a model for individual therapy. However, it can be really useful in terms of relationships to know your parts Mm -hmm. and to even use the language. Like if you're upset with your partner to say, you know, there's a part of me that's really angry versus Mm -hmm. I'm angry, right? It, It can land really differently if we start to understand that there's different parts.
0: Yeah. And I think, in, you know, in terms of having an understanding of like your attachment styles and whenever there is dysfunctional t- attachment in a relationship, I think understanding the exiled parts brings a lot to the table and having a better understanding of why we have the responses we do um, to other people. Because sometimes we're even surprised, like you said, that really reactive part that goes off the handle then and then you regret it later. You, if you don't understand what that's rooted in, it's going to be hard not
1: to have those responses.
0: And a lot of times people have shame around those responses. That's not how they want to show up in the world.
1: Yeah. That's so interesting that you bring up attachment theory, like the anxious attachment style. Um, You know, I see trying to manage the whole relationship, right? Those are the managers going nuts. Yeah. And there may be, you know, all this evidence that your partner is committed, that they're there, but there can still be this part of you that, that feels abandoned. Um, And so it is really helpful to work with your exiled parts. And I do think there are ways to do it outside of therapy. I mean, I think therapy is, you know, one of the most transformative pathways to healing and change. But in general, um, I mean, anything where like meditation, yoga, that's going to help you become more centered in that self that IFS talks about. And then the other thing is just sitting with yourself, connecting to your breath and welcoming all your parts. Mm -hmm. I think the tendency is try to push parts of ourself away. And there's that saying, what you resist persists. So Mm -hmm. the first big change with IFS is to just welcome the parts, like whatever's showing up. And then they have a great way of describing how to welcome the parts, which is to make space for them. That there is space for all all those different parts to exist. Um, And then you can start to communicate with those different parts, developing that inner communication where you start to know what those different parts need, reparent those parts. And those managers, they like to have a job, um, but you can start to unburden them and give them a job that's really going to help. Yeah, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And that you can and because we want to remember that all of these parts are showing up, they have a purpose. And so we would just want to have them working towards our best interest. And once you start to understand them, you can, like you said, give them a new job and mm-hmm. and and check in with yourself. I have a client who I've been doing parts work in hypnotherapy with. And she is working on not using food and, and sugar to numb herself when she's stressed. And so mm-hmm. she has developed a practice on her own outside of the therapy that we do together that when she really feels you know, like she wants to go for that candy or whatever it is that she wants to soothe with, and she knows she's going to feel bad about it later, she's going to feel sick or she's going to be upset that she she did that she tries to sit with herself and say, okay, what am I feeling? What is the part of me that feels this way? And it's really interesting. I mean, you could do a lot on your own outside of therapy with this.
1: Yeah. I, that client that I was talking about with the hypervigilant part, that's always worried about, you know, what other people are thinking, um, trying to avoid that judgment. When we found that pathway to connect to that manager and sort of unburden that manager and ask that manager, you know, what job they could have, the answer was pride. So it was really interesting. Yeah. The client had this experience where then when they were with a group, rather than tuning into everybody else and, and worrying about being judged, that manager held the pride and kept reminding the client to be proud of themselves. And it was really, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating.
0: Such good stuff. Well, Denise, I can't believe it. We're already out of time. So thank you everyone for tuning in. And as I mentioned before, Denise does, uh, work intern at our practice. And if you have any interest in learning more about IFS, you can head over to anchorlighttherapy.com and schedule a complimentary consultation with Denise or some of our other therapists as well, practice IFS. So thanks for tuning in. We will see you next week. Thanks for tuning into Holding Ground. You can hear us here every Tuesday morning at 9.30 a.m. on KKNW. I'm Laura Richard at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. And we'll see you next week.